I'm so excited for this sermon series. Who's ready for our love story? Come on. Before we jump into that, though, I just want to say welcome back to Chi Alpha. It has been so stinking cold, and I'm honored that you decided to come out anyways. Come on. Jesus is good. A stinking man. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and I'm the director here at Chi Alpha. If this is your first time with us, I'm really honored that you take time out of your Tuesday evening to come and join us. Our prayer is that you feel welcomed and that you feel loved here in Chi Alpha, and I would love to meet you after service. I'm not that scary. It'll be good. Amen? Amen. All right. I've never been very good at waiting. I've always been someone who rushes to the next thing in life, and this was especially true in regards to dating. Growing up, some little boys, they want to be professional football players, right? Some want to be astronauts or firefighters. I wanted to be a husband. Some people said, oh, I thought you guys were going to laugh. Everyone just stared at me like I'm an idiot. Goodness, I think it's sweet. But anyways, ever since I can remember, I've been looking for the future Mrs. Q. And I was not good at waiting. Plus, I wanted a wife, which is not a very good combination. My first girlfriend was in the second grade. I remember us playing air hockey at my like, sixth or seventh birthday party as my older brother, Pastor Daniel, our pastor at Scent Church, was sitting right next to me, like talking to me. He was like, Derek, this is how you're going to win her heart. This is how you're going to win her So Come on, man. You've got to let her win. I'm like, I'm not going to let her win. So I just remember him pumping me up on how to be a good boyfriend in the second grade. And he would have been in like sixth grade, so it's really bad. And I'll be honest, in that moment, I was probably thinking, you know what? She could be the one. We never know. Then I had a girlfriend in seventh grade. Things are going well. We're vibing well with each other. And then we go to a water park together. And as she's getting out of the pool, I see her butt crack. <laughs> and in that moment, I knew she was not my wife. <laughs> Please don't judge me. It was seventh grade. And again, I was not very good at waiting. So I think like a day later, I'm outside playing football with my friends in the front yard. And I give my mom my phone. And I say, will you break up with her for me? The sad part, she did it, so that's her fault. <laughs> There's no point waiting around. She ain't it, so let's get, up, get, let's get this show on the road, please. Fast forward, we're in the eighth grade now. I had another girlfriend, and while I was dating this girlfriend, we started going to a new church, and I started getting more unplugged into this church. And then I met my pastor's daughter. Oh, don't do that. And I fell hard. I'm not going to lie to you. Started to build a friendship with her, and I quickly realized that I really liked this girl, which obviously meant I didn't really like my current girlfriend. So there's no time to wait. So I broke up with her and started talking to the pastor's daughter. In the same time, there was some overlap there, but that's besides the point. And I remember this really weird encounter. So that my pastor's daughter came with me to a football game at my high school, and we're sitting there. You know, we're just, I'm just trying to be Mr. Smooth. And then the ex-girlfriend's like, like chasing me around, like, how dare you? Like with a pitchfork, like throwing candy bars at me and stuff. So again, don't date pastor's daughters. If you're pastor's daughter, it's okay. I love you. I'm just kidding. But also don't bring girls to the same thing. It's just don't do that. Middle school, Derek created problems. And then my first serious girlfriend came my senior year of high school. Again, I was only in the business of dating to find a wife, and I stink at waiting. So we were dating for literally a month, and I'm asking her about marriage and trying to get her to commit to marrying me. There's no point beating around the bush. And see, I was a senior in high school, so this isn't incredibly crazy, right? I was 17, 18 years old. So it's, it's kind of weird, but I'm close to being an adult. The problem was she was a sophomore, so she was 16, and I'm trying to lock her into a lifetime contract of being with me. And she was just like, I'm just here for the party. You know, I'm here for a ticket to the prom. I don't really need a ticket to the engagement party that we're going to have. And I'm like, okay, I get it. 
To top this all off, I so badly wanted to be in the season of marriage that I did something that I greatly, greatly regret. I bought her the closest thing that a high schooler can buy, the closest thing to a marriage proposal. I bought her a promise ring. Oof. If you've bought a promise ring, it's okay. I love you. But high school Derek, that was not wise for him. We broke up shortly after that and $300 down the drain. Okay, so promise rings for at least me, that was not, not good. Finally, I met Taylor, my wife, and we did a, such a great job of waiting. I was very patient. We didn't talk about marriage at all. That was the biggest lie I've ever told in the history of me preaching. So we literally talked about marriage the day we met. The first thing that Taylor, my wife, said to me was, hey, Derek, we're supposed to get married, right? Because my brother had joked her to get her to, to talk to me. And Taylor thought this was some big joke. I'm like, ha, I won finally. Thank you, Jesus. I was so pumped. And she was kidding. Oh. Okay, and then she said she wanted to take it slow. She didn't want to rush into dating, so we waited a week and then started dating. She asked me, please, Derek, don't put it on Facebook for a while. I need to tell my friends. I need to tell my family. I put it on Facebook that night. See, I stink at waiting. Sorry, honey. I lived in Minneapolis in this time, and she lived here in Cedar Falls, so we were long-distance relationship for a little bit. And at the end of that semester, is my fall semester, I was going to transfer down, but we had 84 days from the time we started dating until the semester ended. In order to enjoy my time in Minneapolis and to not rush through that season of life, I drove down to Cedar Falls every weekend. I also did something very, very embarrassing. I don't know if anyone knows this besides Taylor and I. I would send her a Snapchat every single day with like a picture of me like sad, like trying to be Rico Suave, and it'd say like 35, that's how many days are left. If you want to show the picture. That's the last day. That was the day I got here. That's why zero, okay? It was romantic. And the Campanile was in the background. Freshman Derek, I am praying for your soul. God is good. Thank you. Please take that down. It's good. So I'm going to say it. Countdowns are terrible. If you're engaged and you have a countdown, just throw it away. Get rid of the little sheet paper. If it's an app, delete the app, guys. All that countdown is doing is causing you pain. Nothing good when you wake up, oh, another 100 days, yay. No, you're not going to. It doesn't make you happy until like the last week. And in that last week, you're not looking at the countdown because you're doing stuff. And all the engaged couples just gave me the dirtiest look I've gotten along. I'm like, I like my countdown. Me and my boo look at it every night before bed. Kruger's giving me an amen. <laughs> See you tomorrow up in Panera, buddy. We'll talk through it. <laughs> uh, pray for Kruger. Uh, <laughs> I love him so much. Taylor and I then got engaged three months later, and we got married six months after that. I, when we first got married, I said, I'm not going to tell our students those numbers, but I just did, because I love you guys, and I want to be open and honest with you. Vulnerability is important here, and I was an idiot. Anyways, I told you all that I did not like waiting. I wanted to get married. Truthfully, the second night that I met Taylor, I was convinced that I had finally found my wife. Before her, all girls seemed forced. It just didn't make sense in my brain. But this time I knew. And that made waiting way harder. So, Jesus, you're good. All of us are in a season of waiting. Maybe you're single and you're waiting to find your Prince Charming or your Cinderella. You're waiting for the one to come on a horse and chariot with a sword with their shirt off and to come win your soul. You badly want to find a spouse and you feel like, I can't do it any longer. Maybe you're like I was as a teenager. 
when I was driving home from football, football practice at the age of 16 crying because I had not met my wife yet. I wish that was a false story. You desperately want to be in a relationship and you feel like you've been waiting forever. Or maybe you're dating in here and you're waiting to realize, is he or she the one? That's the point of dating, right? Trying to figure that out. And you're just like, I'm just not sure and you're sick of not knowing. Or maybe you're one of our 3,000 engaged couples in here and you're just waiting for that big day. The big wedding day is going to fix everything, you tell yourself. You just feel like, all I've done is wait. I'm waiting for our wedding day. I'm waiting for our wedding night. And it gets awkward. Come on. High five. Oh, you think that's awkward. Just wait till week three. Amen. You're waiting for your wedding night. You're waiting till when you can live together. Waiting till you can start your real life. What's crazy about this is as we hate waiting, we're all waiting now more than ever to get married. The median age for marriage in the United States is 26 and a half for women and 28.7 for men. This is drastically higher than it was 100 years ago. We've made this time between adolescence and adulthood much longer than it used to be. I graduated high school six years ago, and I graduated with around 400 people in my class. And out of my class, I can think of under 10 people that are married, and two of them work for Chi Alpha U and I, myself and Pastor John. Yeah, the idiots, high five. <laughs> or maybe you're not interested at all in a relationship right now, but you are waiting to get done with college. You're waiting to get through your next class, waiting to get through the semester, waiting to get through winter, hallelujah. We're all waiting for something, and we've, we've made waiting periods longer than ever before, whether we like it or not. This week, we're starting off a new series, It's a Love Story. Now you guys all get my theme. See, we had the the font of Taylor Swift, and we did the little Instagram thing that no one probably got except me and Taylor because we're kind of old. Anyways, this series is going to be all about love, singleness, waiting, dating, sex, and marriage. We're going to be looking at your love story and how God fits into it. If you're someone who's not excited to hear about your love story, I ask you to still engage. Even if marriage is something that's not on your radar at all, like ever or not in the near future, you can still learn principles that are going to set yourself up for success later if you do get married, and also things that are about the kingdom of God that are bigger than just marriage. So please don't tune out or not come because you don't want to get married for the next 20 years. A lot of what we're going to be talking about the next four weeks are going to come from a book by John Mark Comer entitled Loveology. And when I say a lot of what we're going to talk about, I mean a lot. Anything I say in the next four weeks that you find engaging or good, the credit goes to John Mark Comer. I'm not plagiarizing. I'm saying right now, it's all his. I stole it, regurgitating it, so don't give me the credit. He's a genius. I take credit for nothing. I challenge you, if you really want to learn about this, read the book. because <laughs> That's straight from his mouth. You don't need to have me as the middleman. Every week throughout this year, we're going to focus on a different part of a story. So obviously, we have to start tonight off with once upon a time, right? That's how every good story starts with the once upon a time. How do our love stories begin? How do we live well in the beginning of our stories? How do we set ourselves up for our happily ever after that we all want, right? That's what we're running after is our happily ever after. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about how do we get there. But tonight, we're just going to focus on the beginning. King David was a leader of God's people in the Old Testament. King David is the same guy from the story of David and Goliath. You've ever heard of that? So David kills Goliath, this like eight-foot tall guy, and he's like five foot six. He kills him. He's a rock star. And then he waits. His story hits pause. Sometime after that, a prophet named Samuel comes to king and anoints him and says, David, you're going to be the next king. You are the anointed king of God's people, of the country of Israel where they lived. See, the current king, his name was Saul, was not a very good king. He had turned away from God. And Samuel told David, David, you're the rightful king. 
and 13 short years later, King David became king. 13 years between his anointing as the king of his people and his coronation. That's a long time. I thought 13 days is a long time for Taylor and I to wait to date. But he waited 13 years. God placed a burden in his soul. God gave him a calling inside of him. God showed him his future, and then he had to wait. This just sounds like torture. David spent this time of waiting also on the run from the current king, because he was kind of mad that he wasn't supposed to be the king anymore. So he's on the run, hiding, fighting in the desert. He spent years living in this desert before he was anointed king, or before he became king. We're going to look at Psalm 37 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. If not, we'll have it on the screen behind me. But Psalm 37. And this psalm was probably written, it was written by King David, and it was probably written in this period of waiting, living in the desert. So David knew a thing or two about waiting, and this is his song to us to help us learn how to wait well. Psalm 37, 1 through 7 says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Pay attention now. Listen up. Ready? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for being the author of our love story. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here on campus, Jesus. Thank you for every student in this room. We love you so much, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you get one thing tonight, one thing at all, this is what I want you to get. The foundation of our love story is waiting patiently. The foundation of our love story is waiting patiently. In order to get to our happily ever after, our once upon a time must be built upon waiting. We must learn how to wait well and trust in God if we want to have a God-honoring love story. Before we dive any deeper in, I want to say that following the way of Jesus can be difficult. If you've tried it for more than a week, you realize it's kind of hard. There are times we do not want to honor God. We want to have sex with our fiance. We want to go on Tinder and receive attention. We want to just date whomever we please, no matter what they believe. King David tells us to hold on, to wait patiently. He says, I promise you'll be worth it. See, sometimes I think Jesus followers start looking at non-Jesus followers and say, but they're happy. They're having sex with each other, and they've been dating for a week. Why can't I do that with my fiance? They're happy. They seem to be joyful. What King David is telling us here is he's saying, I know it might seem like things are going well for them, but trust me, in the long run, it will not work. We have to stop looking at other people who are doing things they shouldn't and say, but they're fine. Why can't I do it? Woe is me. King David tells us, I promise you, it's worth it. When he talks about waiting, we can see that waiting is not a passive thing we do. It's an active thing. Waiting is active. King David gives us active commands in this psalm to help us wait patiently for the Lord. He tells us to trust, to do good, to dwell, to enjoy, to take delight in, to commit your way, and he tells us to be still before the Lord. In verse 3, he starts by saying, trust in the Lord. This one's self-explanatory. We need to trust God with our love stories. If you are someone like myself who tries to force things, who tries to get your spouse the way you want and work really hard to find a spouse, you need to take a step back and trust God. Maybe this looks like not walking into every room and gazing around saying, is she here? Because that's what I did my freshman year of college. Don't do that. People know when you're trying to see if they're your wife. Just kidding, not your wife, their wife. Anyways, let's continue. 
If you're in a relationship, trust that God's way is better than your way. This means following what he says to do in regards to sexual boundaries. Because God is smarter than you. God's not dumb. Amen? When he tells us not to lust after, everyone, after anyone, he's up to something. Sometimes we think that God's out to get us, right? That the reason God sets up these sexual boundaries, things that we shouldn't do, is because he's out to steal our fun, when that is far from the truth. God cares about us. He doesn't gain anything from us following, these, following good, healthy sexual boundaries. He just knows that it's what's best for us. So we need to trust God because he knows best because God's not dumb. Next, King David tells us to do good, to do good. And this is in verse 3 as well. To do something with our lives. I think so many of us, when we're in this season of waiting, we feel like since I'm waiting, I should be stagnant. Your life doesn't start when you get married. Your life's already started. Do something with your life right now. Don't just wait around for your future spouse. If you're engaged, don't just wait for your wedding day. Utilize this time of singleness to do something good. When you get married, things change. You have to be an adult. You have to pay your own bills. You have to work more. So take advantage of this time of singleness. Spend extravagant time with your friends. Build real community with your small group. If you're single in here, spend time with your friends. Hang out with the guys or the girls. Stay up until 4 a.m. talking about your feelings with your same gendered friends. God is calling you to be more than just someone's spouse. This means you can start stepping into this calling now. I'm convinced that the best time to make disciples or to help people look more like Jesus is when you're single. Things are different when you're married. You don't have the same amount of freedom. Take advantage of this season and go and make disciples who make disciples who live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. Teach your classmates how to follow Jesus while you spend a ton of time with them becoming their very best friends. Don't wish this season away and waste the amazing opportunity you have right now in this season of singleness. Do good with your life. Waiting does not mean just not doing anything. I'm convinced it means actually to do more. Don't just play video games all day waiting to grow up. I'll be an adult someday when I'm married, but until now, I'm just going to fart around and not do anything. Go do something with your life right now, preferably something that has to do with making disciples of fellow college students. Amen? Sign up for LTC. Come on, somebody. All right, I want you all to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. And I want you to imagine your dad. And if your dad was not around growing up or he's not around anymore, just imagine a stereotypical dad. Maybe imagine Vision from the show WandaVision. He's a very good dad. Sorry to, for the spoiler alert. Imagine a good dad. And imagine the stereotypical dad. Hey, we actually had a bunch of them out in the Connect team. That worked out well. Did not plan that. Imagine one of them wearing their weird clothes. Actually, don't do that. That makes their next part weird. Okay, imagine your dad. Imagine he's sitting in a basement. All right, we've got him in the basement. Now imagine him in his underwear with eight other dudes playing video games, talking about Jesus, building real community. You can open your eyes. You probably can't do that, and you probably feel really uncomfortable right now, right? Because it's weird for a married adult man to do this. However, if you're a college student who is single, this is a very typical thing you can do, and this can lead to some really Jesus-centered conversations. Jesus moves in late-night community times. And you don't get those chances after you get married. Do good and use them right now to build deep friendships centered on growing closer to Jesus as you build real community with the people that are your peers. Practically, this looks like not wishing the current season away. 
Take advantage of the extra time you have right now and build friendships and make disciples. I know when you're in college, you think this is the busiest you'll ever be. I'm sorry to tell you that that is a lie. You just keep getting busier. You get married, and then you have kids, and I'm told that's real busy. My older brother has kids. I don't think he's slept in like three years, okay? I know we think as college students, our life's so busy right now. When it's, I'm just being honest. It's not. You have more time now than ever. Do not waste it. When you're a single, you can build the best real community ever, so take advantage of it. Don't just wait around for a spouse, but go take the horns of life. All right, next thing. Next, David tells us to dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. He says, dwell in the land. To dwell somewhere is to put your roots down, to dive in, to dig deep, to be content. I think discontentment is a huge problem on our campus. Would I be right? I hope, or I hope not, but I think I am. We're always looking to the next thing to bring contentment. We're looking to our good grades, looking to our friends. That if we find a boyfriend, if I get married, if I have sex, if I get my next pornography fix, I'm going to be content. However, we must learn to dwell in the season that we're in. If you're single, be content in singleness. Again, don't wish it away, but be happy being single. If you're dating, be content with this journey of figuring out, is this person the one? You never have it back. If you're engaged, and I know you don't believe me, but you can be content. I know it's hard, but be content being engaged. Pretty soon, you're not going to have to tell yourself no as much. Ooh. Enjoy the time that you get to tell yourself no. It, gets, it helps you look a little bit more like Jesus. You'll never have this season back, hopefully. Take advantage of it. Get to be more like Jesus. Be content not being married. This is bigger than just romantic relationships. Be content being a college student. I know you're all thinking, once you do not have homework or classes, once you get your dream job, I will be content. You don't have to wait till graduation day to find your contentment. You can be content in the current season if you dwell in it and you dig deep. This means own the time you're in. You'll never get this time of being a college student back. Do not wish it away, but dwell in the land. I thought that before I got married, I thought once I get married... I'm about to be so happy. I'm going to be content. Taylor is going to fulfill my wildest dreams. I got married. I woke up the next day, and I'm like, wait, that's it? Don't be weird about it. There's only one thing that's ever brought me true contentment. That's having a life of real devotion to Jesus and spending extravagant time with him on a daily basis. That's why I preach about it a lot. I talk about real devotion a lot, right? It's because it absolutely changed my life and is the only thing that has ever brought contentment has been spending time with Jesus every day. It's the only thing that's helped me dwell in the season I'm in. I, again, someone who struggles with waiting, I'm always looking for the next. And for the first time since the past three years since I started reading my Bible every day, I am content. I love Taylor, but she wasn't enough. Only Jesus was. Next, David tells us after the, to dwell in the land, he says, befriend faithfulness. We are to cultivate faithfulness is another way to word it. We need to be faithful in the season that we are in in order to get to the next. For dating, this means before seeking out a partner, we need to be faithful with what we are currently doing. If you're not faithful with being single and getting your life together now, how is God supposed to trust you with someone else? Before we start our love story, we need to get some things figured out. We need to know a vague trajectory of our lives. If we plan on moving to the Arab world to be a missionary to Muslim people, we probably should not marry someone who wants to live on a farm in Iowa and never leave their county for the rest of their life. You're going to have some hard conversations after the wedding day. Another question to ask is, have you healed from past relationships? 
If you're still thinking about your ex all the time or working through the pain of that relationship, it is probably not smart to start a new one. Close that chapter before you begin your new one. Close that one before you start your once upon a time. Another thing to ask yourself is, are you devoted to Jesus? If you're just starting to figure out how to follow God, it may be good to focus on that for a season. That's enough of an undertaking for one time in life. Focus on learning how to follow Jesus first, be faithful in that area, and focus on dating and relationships later. Ask yourself, am I in a place to begin dating? If I was my potential girlfriend's father, would I want my daughter to date me? If the answer is no, you probably need to work on some stuff first and get your life together a bit. The only reason that we date is to find our spouse, and we'll talk more about that next week. So if you're not ready for marriage anytime in the near future, you probably shouldn't be dating. You're just setting yourself up for failure. John Mark Comer says in Loveology, I know so many people who sit around dreaming about marriage, but if they met someone tomorrow, it would be years before they were ready to take that step. Oof. Use this time to prepare yourself for dating. Next, God tells, or next, David tells us to delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. King David gives us this command. This command connects with the earlier command when he said to dwell in the land. We cannot find our contentment through anything except King Jesus. We are to look for him for our satisfaction. We are to delight in him and nothing else. Nothing else will work, including a romantic relationship. The Bible doesn't tell us to go delight in your wife or to delight in your husband or to delight in your kids or your family or your job or your grades or your money. It says delight in the Lord. A key to waiting well and to waiting patiently is to delight in the Lord in the season that you're in. Comer says this, you think you're craving romance, but really you're craving God. You think you're dying to get married, but really it's God who's underneath your desires. You think you're waiting for fill in the blank, but really, you're waiting for God. We must change our desires from other people, from prestige, love, romance, sex, to God. If we dig a little deeper, I think we find that what we delight in is what we put our identity in. If your identity isn't being a good student, you take delight in getting good grades, being really good at your area of study. Maybe you're a musician, maybe you're a music major, and your whole focus is becoming the best trumpet player that you can be, and you try to find your fulfillment from doing well in school and getting your professor's approval. It's all because your identity is in your studies. The same goes for dating relationships. I think many people are finding their identity in romantic love. If you're single and this really pains you and eats at you, it's probably because you're seeking your identity and your worth from other people's opinions of you. You think, if I just lose that five pounds, I will be sexier and that boy is going to like me. Then I'll have value. So you starve yourself and cause yourself pain. You spend extravagant money on clothes so you can appear attractive, so you can seem like you have your life together, like you have prestige, and you can seek validation from other people. You get on Tinder to get someone to validate you by swiping right when they don't actually care about you or your soul. All they care about is using your body to fulfill a sexual desire. Or maybe your identity is in your significant other. Instead of spending extravagant time with Jesus, you spend extravagant time with your fiancé or boyfriend or girlfriend. Your whole worth and your identity is in them, so you got to spend every waking moment with them. You think, I'm only happy when I'm with him or her. And then you want more from them. 
their time's not good enough, so you start crossing physical boundaries in the name of love, or because we're so deeply connected, we're so attracted to each other, I just can't keep my hands off of them, so I must cross these physical boundaries. When in actuality, the reason you're crossing these physical boundaries is because you're finding your worth and your identity in this person instead of your king. We cannot idolize our romantic relationships and take delight in other people or other people's opinions of us instead of God. Ask yourself, is Jesus your sustenance or is he your boyfriend or getting that next Instagram like or getting someone to swipe right on you on Tinder or getting that boy's opinion in the union? Why'd you get up this morning? There's a time that Taylor and I were dating and we found this old piece of paper in my parents' garage. It was a song written by my parents back when my dad had a mullet and was trying to be a rock star. Taylor starts to read this song aloud to me. We're just dying laughing because it's absolutely awful. Just a terrible song. They're like, baby, you're so sexy. I love you. <laughs> and it's just a terrible song. And then Taylor reads the F word. She read it out loud because she's just reading the song and she says, F. The actual word, though. I was horrified. I'll be honest. I got really mad at her, actually. I ran away from her because I was so mad at her. At the time, I didn't know why was I so angry. She just had an accident. She just misread something. But I was furious with her. Looking back, I figured out why I was so upset. I had put our relationship up as my idol. My identity was in our relationship. Taylor was my idol. She was my everything. She had to be perfect and to live up to the expectations that I had for my future wife. Growing up as a Christian, you think a lot about your spouse I made a list of expectations for my future wife. I don't know if any of you guys did that. Like, they got to have this. She got to be able to sing. She got to have a nice body. That's not from the Lord. That's from my own head. So bad. If you did that, I'll pray for you. And when she said the F word, it was a blemish. She wasn't perfect. My idol wasn't perfect anymore. My identity was messed up. She had tarnished this weird image I had created for myself that my future spouse should be. My delight was not in the Lord, but it was in Taylor, and this led to too high expectations for her and a lot of pain. Please find your identity in the Lord and not romance, sex, or relationships. If you're single, your value is not in being able to find a spouse. It is okay that you are single. Don't try to find your identity in another person because only in delighting in King Jesus can you find your true identity, which is a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. Relationships, sex, hookups will not satisfy, only Jesus will. If you're in a relationship, don't find your delight or your identity in that person. They will not measure up. They are not good enough to be your God. Your significant other is not good enough for you to delight in them because everyone is messed up. Delighting in them is going to lead to turmoil and pain. You know you're delighting in your significant other by how much time you spend with them. If you're with your significant other all the time, you're delighting in them. This is going to cause trouble. You'll be with them late at night, which is going to tempt you to cross sexual boundaries, which is going to lead to a loss of sleep the next day. So your next day is not going to go well. Your schoolwork will suffer. Your real devotional life will stink, and you will not be effective in making disciples simply because you're trying to delight in the wrong thing. Desire God and see your sinful desires become heavenly desires. And this only happens through spending extravagant time with Jesus. King David goes on to say, commit your way to the Lord. David tells us to commit to the Lord. What does that practically mean? Comer tells us that this means we make God our navigator. We tell him, here's my map. Here's my plan. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You're in charge. 
it's okay to make plans. It's okay to think this is the rough trajectory of my life. Like this is what I think I want to do. This is what I think God wants me to do. It's okay to do that. The problem is when we hand our plan to God and he tries to course correct or redirect us, we get mad and say, no, I had a plan. That's when the problem starts. We cannot fight God when he tries to redirect our plans. We should, we should go the way that we think is right, but we have to be open to redirection from God. In dating, this looks like a couple things. Maybe you're with someone that you think you're supposed to be with, but then you realize God's not asking you to be with them anymore. Maybe he's asking you to not be with them at all. Or maybe you're not hearing from God that you shouldn't be with them, but you have godly friends that are telling you, eh, that's a bad idea. I don't think they're the one. Or maybe the person you're with honestly isn't following the Lord. They don't have the same passion for Jesus as you do. Or maybe you're crossing physical boundaries with them and you are not anywhere near marriage. All those things are ways that God tries to redirect us. If your significant other does not follow Jesus at the same fervency that you do, you probably need to commit that relationship to the Lord and break up with them. If you're doing sexual things and not getting married soon, you need to take a step back from that relationship. Or maybe this looks like you're single and you do not want to be. But God is calling you to a life of singleness. Maybe it's a life of singleness just for this season that you're in, or maybe it's a life of singleness forever. We can try to fight God in all this, or we can submit to his will. Maybe it's your plan to get married and have kids, and you deeply want that. You deeply want the storybook. But maybe that's not God's plans for you. I know that's hard to hear. It's hard to accept, but maybe it's what's best. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul gives us some thoughts on singleness. In 1 Corinthians 7, he says this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Paul, who was the greatest missionary to ever live, was single. He's the most effective Christian to ever walk the planet, and he was single. Also, Jesus, he was single. He's saying here that it's probably better to be single than married. In different parts of the passage, he tells us it's okay to get married. He doesn't say it's sinful to get married, but he's saying that it's better to be single. If you're single, you can focus more on God and his way. Paul says this later in the chapter in 1 Corinthians 7, through 34, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. Amen. That is good truth, Paul. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious just about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. When you're married, your attention is divided. But when you're single, you can focus solely on the Lord and how to be holy and how to please him. And this is incredible. If you can be single, be single. Paul makes it clear this is the better way. We must commit our plans to the Lord and follow whatever he has for our lives and trust that his way is better than our way. If God is calling you to singleness, it's not because he's mad at you or trying to punish you or because you made some sexual sin mistake in the past and now this is a way of getting back at you. Nope, that's not what it is. It's because God is smarter than you and he knows your life will be better if you're single. Right before meeting Taylor, I was talking to a different girl in Minnesota. And it was okay to pursue her. She loved Jesus. There wasn't anything inherently wrong, so I kept pursuing her. But then I realized that she wanted to move to Tennessee, and I had no desire to do that. But I tried to force the situation. I kept pursuing her because I thought she was pretty, and I wanted to date her. But God was clearly trying to redirect my plans. But I wouldn't let go of the wheel. I'm like, nope, this is who I want. This is what I'm going to do. 
Thankfully, in that time, Taylor actually reached out to me while I was pursuing this other girl. And in that moment, I decided I need to stop pursuing this girl. However, if I would have kept trying to force my own will and say, no, this is the girl that I want, this is what I want, I would have missed what God had for me, which was my wife, Taylor. Taylor is my perfect match. She's not perfect, but she is perfect for me. I've got a lot of flaws, and she makes up for them. And I could have missed out on that opportunity if I wouldn't have committed my way to the Lord and tried to force what I thought was best. Focus on what God's plan is for your life and commit it to him. In verse 7, King David tells us to be still before the Lord. We must slow down. No matter what phase of life you're in, slow down. Pump the brakes a little bit. Let things breathe. We always try to rush through everything, and God is just saying, slow down. Be still before me. Let's be calm before God and trust in him. Wait patiently on God. This is King David's final command to us in this section. We wait patiently for the, for the Lord by trusting, doing, dwelling, enjoying, delighting, committing, and we walk with God. Notice that David says to wait patiently for the Lord. He does not say wait patiently for a man or a woman. He does not say wait patiently for a ring. He does not say wait patiently for a ring. He says wait patiently for God. For God is with us right now. We don't have to wait alone. In this season of waiting, we don't have to be alone because God is right here walking beside you. Comer says this, more important than finding your spouse is becoming the kind of person who's ready to get married. We spend so much time and energy dreaming about finding the perfect man or woman, but we can't control that. All we can do is work hard to become the kind of man or woman Jesus is calling us to be. The kind of man or woman for whom someone out there is waiting. Here's what Comer's telling us. He's saying we must be the one, the one I'm looking for, is looking for. We must be the one that the one I'm looking for is looking for. Would you want your future, sp- your future spouse's relationship with Jesus to look like yours does right now? Would you want their personal sexual purity to look like yours does? Do you want your future spouse to be looking at the things that you look at on the internet? You want your future spouse to be signed up for the apps that you're signed up for. Right now, you are becoming your future. You are setting the foundation for your love story. Right now. You are writing your once upon a time. The beginning of a story is the foundation. The rest of it is based on that once upon a time. See, it introduces the characters. It gives the backstories. What do you want your once upon a time to be? You can have a beautiful foundation. You can wait patiently for the Lord for what he wants for your life. You can trust God. You can do good right here and now and take advantage of this time in life. You can be content with your current season. You can cultivate faithfulness and be faithful to what God has given you right now. You can delight in the Lord and place your identity in Him instead of what other people think of you or your significant other or your lack thereof. You can commit your plans to the Lord's plans no matter what they are. If that's singleness, then amen. If it's to get married, that's great too. You can be still before the Lord and wait patiently for God. 
In, do, in doing this, we must keep asking ourselves this question. Am I the person that I'm looking for is looking for? If the answer is no, then change something. No other person can be enough to fulfill you. No matter how well you wait for things, when what you're waiting for finally arrives and you finally get there, it won't be enough. I promise you it will not measure up. It will come up short because King Jesus is the only thing that can be enough. He's the only happily ever after worth waiting for. Only in him can we experience this true, beautiful love story. In this series, over these next four weeks, we're probably going to bring up some pain, probably some mistakes that you've made that you're not proud of. Probably there's some things that are in your love story that if you're honest, you wish weren't there. Thank God that he loved us enough to send his son to die for us so he could write the, write the greatest love story of all time. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life for you and me. Jesus paid the penalty for our many sins. Jesus, get this, Jesus gave us the opportunity for the happily ever after that none of us deserve. We deserve for our story to be a terrible ending. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve pain and misery. That's what we deserve. But God came and said, I'm going to rewrite their story by sending my son to pay the penalty for their mistakes. Nothing beats that. Nothing's better than that. God gave us the opportunity for the ending to be eternity with him. If you all stand with me. We can choose to be people who rush through the seasons of life. We can choose to never be satisfied with our current circumstances. We can be angry because we're single. Or we can be angry because we're in a relationship. And my main small group leader or resource leader is telling me I can't do sexual things with my significant other, but they don't understand my circumstances. It's so hard to not cross these boundaries. We can choose to be mad about that. We can choose to fight things. We can choose to say, it's my way or the highway, God. I know you say to be pure, but I don't want to, so I'm not going to. We can choose that if we want. But our love story will not be as beautiful as if we followed God's plan for the love story. If we submitted to God and said, your way is better than my way. And said, God's not dumb. God, you are smarter than me. I'm going to let you be my author. We can wait patiently. We wait because the Lord's plans are better than ours. I promise you, I promise you with every fiber of my being that if you wait patiently for what God has for your life, you will not be dissatisfied. He is the perfect author. And his love story is way better than whatever we try to write on our own. Here at Kyle, we'd like to give us two ways to respond. If you're in this room, and if you're honest with yourself, you don't feel like God has started your love story yet. You feel like you haven't given your life to King Jesus yet. You've been trying to do things on your own. And tonight's night that you want to let him be the author of your story. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes, bow their heads, and I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as an act of saying, God, take over, take over my story, of saying, I trust you, King Jesus. So if that's you and you want to give your life to following God tonight, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so 
much. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, we love you so much. God, I thank you for giving us an opportunity to rewrite our stories. God, thank you for making our story not be written in pen, but written in pencil that you can fix, Jesus. Thank you for being good enough to cover my mistakes. God, I thank you for the people that are going to commit their ways to you tonight, Jesus. We love you so much, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's a second question I want to ask. If you're here tonight, and if you're honest, your love story is not going the way you want. You have sexual sin in your life that you wish wasn't there. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to the hookup culture and spend your time on Tinder. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're crossing physical boundaries or you just got out of a relationship where you cross physical boundaries and you want healing. If you want healing and you want God to take your love story, to pick it up and rip it in half and throw it in the trash and say, it's time to write a new love story, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands right now. If you want to give your love story to Jesus, raise your hands right now. And we're going to sing this song together. And as we sing this song, let's cry out to God and say, rewrite my story, King Jesus. Jesus, send revival to my heart. Revival just means a fresh awakening. Revival just means something new. God wants to bring revival to your love story tonight and wants to paint a better picture for your future. I'm going to pray, then we're going to head back into the song. King Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I pray for revival to break out in the hearts of our students, God. I pray that we can trust you with our love story because you are good, God. I thank you for your goodness, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen.